Yeah, we'd just love to pray for you, but um, I thought what we might do is have two or three minutes of just you sharing what's going on, what's exciting uh, in the mission field, or maybe it's something personally. So over to you, Christine, first. Okay. <clears throat> right. Well, we are in transition, big time. Um, Ross is turning 80 in April next year. We are still... We're still on the field, we're still active, and, um, but we've announced that April next year and into June is our last year. So we have just done um, a big move at the Taiwan end to start this process. So 15 years of life, we've just packed up and um, we're doing the same at this end. <laughs> and we actually have absolutely no idea where we're gonna land up in a year's time. But we're packing, we're leaving the flat um, Monday next week and um, Talking about testimony, looking back over a long life of God's faithfulness, we can see how God has led us so faithfully. And so we're putting a stake in the ground and we're saying by this time next year, we're believing we will have a story of how God has led us and provided for us. So thank you for your prayers. We're also, um, well, our, several of our family are also in transition. So we'd value prayer for them. Um, our one daughter's just moved from LA to Texas um, with a brand new baby um, yesterday. So, <laughs> yeah, it seems to be in the air. Um, and then we are also, um, we've started a new ministry called Field Partner. And so we're looking for the future direction for that as well. We had a very good meeting about a week ago talking about um, seminal things that need to happen in this ministry if we're to be able to hand that on um, in due course. Um, both English and Chinese. Ross heads up the Chinese and I head up the English. Okay. Do you want to say anything else? That's good, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, with one wife, five daughters, seven granddaughters, I never add to what a woman says. Amazing. <laughs> well, shall we, shall we just pray? <laughs> Let's just um, pray for you both and pray for Ross before he comes to speak. <laughs> Yeah, Lord, we thank you for Ross and Christine. We thank you for their faithful service to you and their obedience over many, many years. We thank you that the gift that their presence has been to so many because of how they shine for you so clearly. And Holy Spirit, we just pray for this transition. And we give our yes and our amen to that this time next year, they will have a testimony and a story to share. We say yes and amen to the promise that you've put in their hearts. And we pray for every door to open that is right so clearly. And the ones that aren't stay so firmly shut. Lord, I thank you that you're the Lord who promises to go before us. And I thank you that you have went before them in this transition. And we stand beside them and we support them and say, yes, Lord, you're going to do it again. And Lord, we just pray for Ross as he comes to speak to us now. Will you fill him with your Holy Spirit? Thank you for the man he is. And Lord, I just pray that for each of us here, we will have hearts that are ready to hear what you have for us today. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Do we have anything I can... Is this secure? Max, don't bounce, you know. If it's okay. Do you want to go? 
Good to be with you. Just before I get going, I really uh, wanted to say something to you, to say thank you for coming. I don't know you, you don't know me, but I just really appreciate your coming. It's more difficult, I imagine, for you to come than any of us. I just felt the Lord wanted to say how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, and he has a special presence for you in a way you'll understand. Okay, normal service is resumed. Um, do we have the PowerPoint, anyway? And do we have a clicker? Um, if we can... Okay, well, I'll let the, you guys do it. If I say next, okay? I could say down, but you might misunderstand that, so. Um, I just wanted to share, starting in uh, next, <laughs> starting in the end of the book of Acts. I spent a lot of time in the book of Acts, and what fascinates me in the book of Acts is so much about Paul in the second half, isn't it? But it doesn't finish with his death. It doesn't tell us how he went. I mean, church historians think they know. What it says is Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. It just struck me that Luke would end Acts that way. Luke ends with Paul at full speed. Luke ends with Paul, okay, in, in a kind of prison, but still functioning at full speed. And it may be something to do with my age, but you kind of ask ourselves, how do we do that? Whether we're 19 or 79, how do we do that? How, what are the things we need to look for that will help us? And one reason I say that, and I really don't want to go into details, is if you know what's going on in some of the Christian world, it is shocking uh, to see people who have such an anointing in God brought down through immorality, through love of money in the wrong way, and this kind of thing. So when I was doing that, next please, if we could, uh, I came across something by a Welshman. Those of you who are Welsh can cheer at this point. Um, I think, I really don't know who he was, but it really struck me. What he said is keys to continuing in the Holy Spirit, keys to, to carrying on with Jesus. He said three. I'm not saying they're the only ones, but I am saying they're important. So I want to share on them this morning. The first one is the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. That Jesus, not just once, one off, but daily be Lord in our lives. Number two, the realization of his love in the church through our relationships, through love one another, through the way we handle each other, which isn't easy. And number three is living his life in moral relationships, living the way the Bible says that we're called to live. And it might be in this generation that third one is the hardest of all. That third one is the biggest challenge that we face. So let me get into them. Uh, down, please. Next, sorry. 
the constant recognition of Christ's lordship in our lives. I want to go for this one to Luke chapter 4, if you'd go to the next slide, please. In, in Luke chapter 4, ju just imagine yourself uh, to be in this situation. Jesus has just been filled with the Spirit at his baptism by John. It's very interesting. In, he goes into the wilderness. In Luke 4.1, it says he goes in full of the Spirit. He comes out in the power of the Spirit. And they're not the same. In other words, the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is a gift. And so, in a sense, is the power of the Holy Spirit. But it happens when we walk as Jesus did, letting the Word of God be real and conquering in his life. So, he then goes into a synagogue. And he wanders into the, well, he doesn't wander into the synagogue. He walks into the synagogue. And three, four things struck me. The first is in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus, and he has anointed me, Jesus, to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me, Jesus. Right there and then, Jesus makes the program so clear. He's the center of it all. The, what we have just sung, uh, sung is very interesting. You're worthy of it all. In the church where we work in Taiwan, which is a church, uh, let, me, let me put this into context. I have a, we have a very small role in the church. It's a church of 10,000 people that I spoke about this time last year online because we were locked down. 60,000 people looked at what I'd said on, on YouTube. So it's a big church. But in the middle of small church, big church, Jesus is central in it. Twice recently in different groups, one was a young people's group, like a teenage, late teenage group. One was uh, actually an, what they call an international church, which means it's the only church that isn't in Chinese because everything we do is in Chinese except for that one. When they sung that song, the Holy Spirit came in power that very song that we were singing. The Holy Spirit came in power. People, young people finished worshiping in tears, the Holy Spirit moving in power. And the first key that Jesus brings to us here is he's central. His relationship with us is central. I, I went to the mission field 53 years ago. That counts for nothing if Jesus isn't central in our lives if he isn't all in all, if he's not worthy of it all. Then, then the Lord Jesus, uh, carrying on with them, he, he goes in, in verse 21, and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now imagine you were that, we are that church, right? albeit a synagogue, Jesus walks in. Number one, what he says is, I, I'm, I'm Lord of all. Number two, he says, I'm active today. What the Lordship of Jesus does is shows us that he's active today in our lives. That's not the same as saying everything's working out well in our lives. It is saying he's active, he answers prayer, he works in our lives. It's absolutely critical that we hold that. These are, these are difficult days, aren't they? The uh, COVID and Ukraine and all the rest of it. But he's active. He's answering prayer. 
He's doing things when we worship him, when we pray to him. He's answering those things. Then something very, very interesting to me. The next thing Jesus did right in the middle of this profoundly Jewish service, in verse 25, he says, I assure you that there are many widows in Israel in, Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut up for three and a half years. There was a severe famine in the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of the widows of Israel, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. There were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet n not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Right there and then, Jesus makes a statement, my church is an international church. My church is an international church. One of my favorite verses, and I can't take you there for time's sake, is in uh, Revelation 5.9, where John is wrestling because the, the scroll is, is locked and he doesn't know who's going to be opening it, and the angel says, okay, Jesus is going to open it. And when he opens it, he says that the Lamb of God died for every nation, every tongue, every people, every tribe. As we say in Chinese, ge zu, ge fang, ge min, ge guo. Every tribe and tongue and nation and people. I, I want to suggest to you, well, I don't want to suggest to you, I want to tell you, that's my father's business. Not my, not my earthly father, my heavenly father. That is his business. He's really burdened for Cheltenham and Gloucester and England, but he's also burdened for India and for the tribes of India, for the four or five hundred minority peoples in China. He's burdened for nations and tribes and people, large and small, that you and I may never have heard of. What he does in our generation is raises in special ways those who will go to those nations. If, let me say this carefully, well, let me give a testimony of something that recently happened. We were in Singapore as missionaries working into China from 1994 to 2007. Around 2006, the biggest and most successful pastor in Taiwan, he's the guy that built this church of 10,000 people. When he started, it was like several hundred, finished 10,000, 12-story building. My office is on the 11th floor. In 2006, he said to us, would you come back from Singapore to Taiwan and be Xuanjiao Guwen, mission consultant for our church? And we really prayed about it. Uh, let me say a word about prophecy. We really prayed about it. And we got three words. One was you should stay in Singapore. One was you should go to Taiwan. One was you should go to China. So I said, well, Lord, this is a little confusing. And the Lord said, that's because you make the decision, not them. Uh, let, let me say that about prophecy. Prophecy basically should possibly trigger a thought process, certainly confirm a thought process, but it's between you and the Lord. So we went to Taiwan because that's what Father said. And this guy, who's a lovely brother, locked us down for 15 years hardly gave us any opportunities. I started a school of missions, which is working, uh, the, the Antioch missions, which we run, and Derek Prince Ministries, we carried those, those at full speed. But the church fundamentally locked us out. About the beginning of this year, 
he had a dream. If I say he's a dreamer, don't misunderstand it. God speaks to him through dreams. In the dream, God took this uh, pastor of this huge church to the 12-story church building. And he looked at the building and saw there was another building next door. And he said, uh, what's that building? He's asleep, right? He's talking to the Lord in the dream. It happens. And the Lord said that because the, 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 there was no lift, 12 stories, there were no stairs that really worked, there were people locked inside, this kind of thing. And he said, Lord, Lord, what is this? And the Lord said, that is the cross-cultural mission building that you never built. And he said, who are the people inside? He said, those are the people you were supposed to send, but you never sent. God answers prayer. Why have we moved in Taiwan? Because he came to me and he said, for your last year here, I would like you two as missionaries to come and live beside me. So his apartment has, I'm not sure if I've seen this in England, but it's like there's one on the 10th floor, there's one big door. If you go through that door, we've moved on the left, he's moved on the right. Being Chinese and being hot, the weather, very often his door is open, so we walk out and there he is in his shorts and this, this kind of thing. God spoke to him and said, You've, they have over 500 church plants worldwide. Almost all of them speak Chinese. So there are two in London, both speak Chinese. There's one in Paris that speaks Chinese. The Lord said, my son, you've missed something that I wanted to give you as Lord of the church. And that's that your church would reach out to every nation and tongue and people and tribe in their language in understanding their culture. One more thing that Jesus said here, which oh, actually he didn't say it, they said it. They said in when Jesus burst into the synagogue, remember we were in the synagogue, they said, is not this Joseph's son? In verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Is not this Joseph's son? When Jesus is active, when he's Lord, Joseph's son gets picked out of a crowd when nobody else thinks he would be. That's the thrilling thing about allowing Jesus to be Lord. He releases purposes and direction and ministry and anointing on Joseph's son. What, what I mean by Joseph's son? Who's he? Who's she? You understand me? When, when I went 53 years ago to the mission field, it was because in a hospital in Bishop Stalford, that sacred place in Hertfordshire called Bishop Stalford, I was in hospital and I read a book. I didn't read a book. I read the preface to a book which happened to be about China. BBC had a black and white, in 1962, a black and white program on, on the Chinese, and a nurse walked into my room and said, have you ever thought of being a missionary to China? And I knew it was God, because I just surrendered my life for the first time to Jesus as Lord and been filled with the Spirit. That, those three things decided the course of my life. Joseph's son got plucked from whatever I was going to do in England, 
into a completely different destiny that God has been pleased to use. Okay, as we say in Chinese, gina gina. Let's get a move on. Um, number two, number two of finishing well, the realization of his love in the church where brothers and sisters serve one another in the order and unity of love. Now, I need you, if you would, to, to go to the next one, and then maybe the next one after that, and just stay on that. Hope, uh, yep, the one after that. Okay, we're there. You can't see it, but it doesn't matter, because I'll explain it. In uh, Acts chapter 15, at the end of Acts chapter 15, if you know that, Paul and Barnabas have a Barney, have a row. Wait a minute, I'm getting the wrong place here. Just to give you a little bit of history, if you don't know the history, Barnabas in Acts 11 went for hundreds of miles to collect Paul from Tarsus and brought him to Antioch. After that, uh, they worked together in Antioch. Then in uh, Acts 13, it says that Paul was sent out with Barnabas from Antioch. It's a beautiful passage. In Acts 13.3, it says the church sent them out. In Acts 13.4, it says being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So these two were best mates. These two, on the first missionary journey, experienced so much. Now, at the end of Acts 15, they're in Jerusalem sorting out some business there. And when the business is sorted out, Paul says, let's do it again. Acts 15.36, let's go and visit the believers in the towns where we preach the word of the Lord. And Barnabas says, great, let's take John Mark with us. John Mark deserted them, Acts 13, on the first trip. So Paul says, no way, Jose. Barnabas, because he's related to John Mark, which is important, says, I want him to go. Paul says, no. And it says they had such, Acts 15.39, a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left. Two guys who had been on a missionary journey together, who'd seen God do the most extraordinary stuff, healing the sick, raising up new churches. Two guys, uh, I mean, Paul owed everything to Barnabas in many ways. But at this point, these two serious men of God fell out and went their own way. There is no evidence in Scripture that they ever really worked together again. Now, you can explain it because... Paul was a, um, what do you call it in England, SAS. Paul was a frontline guy. Barnabas was a, was a hospital doctor. He, he put people right. So Barnabas says, I want to take John Mark because he failed. Let's restore him. Paul says, he, he cut and run the last time we were here, so I'm not interested. It's so severe that they parted. Now, I have a really good mate who uh, is an American brother, but he worked in Europe raising up missionaries in Germany for many years. He has an interesting explanation, very quickly, on Acts 16. Because in Acts 16, 
verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled through the regions of Phoenicia. Uh, can we have the map back? Uh, just a second. And Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit for preaching the word of God in Asia. So he wants to go to Asia. The Holy Spirit says no. When they came to the border of Mysia, Acts 16, 7, and tried to enter Bithynia, the Spirit of God would not allow them. Now, I, I did uh, last geography exam I took, which was about 68 years ago, I got 7%. So I, I don't want to stretch this too far, but as I've looked at the map, I think they covered hundreds of miles, Paul did. He went there and the Spirit said no. He went here and the Spirit said no. He went here and the Spirit said no. And he didn't have a Lexus. He didn't even have a Harley Davidson. At most he was on a horse, probably was on foot. So you're talking about weeks and weeks and weeks. What do you think Paul was thinking about? Now, my mate says God was dealing with him on his attitude to Barnabas. Now, I see it the other way around. I think it was Barnabas's fault. Because you do not take a guy who's failed and hasn't been restored on a frontline mission trip. You just don't do it. So Barnabas shouldn't have pulled the relational thing. So, we both agree to disagree on that one. Whosever fault it was, two serious men of God fell out so completely that they couldn't work together. Now, I know that's never happened in Trinity uh, and never will happen in Trinity, but what that tells me is even really anointed brothers and sisters can fall out over comparatively irrelevant stuff. And that it comes, these are praying people, it comes in a way that they didn't even see it coming, even to the point of, of dividing and splitting up. What that says to me is you and I need to watch that like a hawk. You and I, if, if there's anybody, can I just, because uh, we come once a year, so you can say what you want, really. But... <laughs> If there's anybody here who's saying, I just can't forgive them, the best illustration of that I've heard is this. That's like drinking poison and thinking it's going to harm the other person. It really is. That there is grace to forgive. And there are scary verses like, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them who trespass against us. And that all I can say on this very quickly is that again and again, when the Holy Spirit really wants to move, the enemy will come in with division over what may seem years later to be totally irrelevant. Now, there are some situations that demand going different ways because... Well, I haven't got time to spin them out, so I'm not going to, but there are. In most situations, here's the challenge, that I go to the person who's offended and stumbled me, I apologize for my part without expectation that they'll respond to me. If they do, that's a bonus. But my job is not to drink the poison, not to live with that on my back, but to be clear of it by confession and repentance and moving on. 
I know that's a hard word, but I am convinced that the enemy reduces so much of what God wants us to do through, well, we'll put it this way. If, if you ask Christine and me, what, what's the most frequent cause of missionaries falling out? Well, one of them, of course, is they haven't been prepared and they collapse and burn and whatever. But one major one is interpersonal relationships, not between the missionary and the people they're trying to reach, but between the missionaries themselves on the field. So the second thing he says is that we should love one another. The third one, very quickly, is the simple issue of living God's way morally. Living his life in all moral relationships. I was reading 2 Corinthians 5 recently, and it, it, it says in verse 5, Now he who has prepared us for this, this very thing is God, who also has given us his spirit as a guarantee. This very thing, Paul is saying, one day this tent this body is going to collapse and, and, and die. Uh, that's, that's going to happen sooner or later to all of us. It's a fact. You can't avoid it. Paul is saying, well, what happens? He's saying God is going to give us a tent, an eternal tent, with him if we love Jesus, if we walk with him. Christine's mum was a missionary in Africa with her father in Rwanda, uh, went back to the field when she was 80, uh, said to us, look, uh, I feel the Lord is saying this time I'm going to die while I'm out there, which she did. She had a word from the Lord. She said, please don't bother to come to my funeral because I don't intend to be there. <laughs> uh, what you have at the funeral is my old tent. So by all means, bury it, but don't get too worried about it. I'm, I have a new tent with Jesus. And what the guy says is, or Paul says, is he's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that. That in Trinity, we see the work of the Holy Spirit, don't we? We see the Holy Spirit working. That's, that's a guarantee of what the Father has prepared for us. I, I read this illustration, and I have no idea which, uh, which uh, kind of culture it applies to. But apparently in olden days... If you had a field and I was buying your field and we've agreed the price, we went together to that field and you took some of the best soil of that field and put it in my hand. When that soil was in my hand, if the price was agreed, that was it. It was sold. It was done. The Holy Spirit is the soil in our hand of the eternal field that the Father has prepared for us. I really feel that this is an aspect of the work of the Spirit we underplay. It must be, because so many men and women of God recently have, to, have just done absurd things. And it's not they weren't anointed, but apparently they didn't understand. What I have in the Holy Spirit, I really need to hold on to, because it's my guarantee of what is to come. Then Paul goes on to say... Let me try and flick because there's one verse missing of what I want to say. And with this, I'm done. What, what Paul goes on to say in, in Romans 5 is, I think, really, really important. Uh, no, it's 2 Corinthians, wasn't it? Sorry about that. 
there are better ways of doing it than this, but it'll have to do. He says in verse 9 something really important. Come on, C-O-R, not C. My generation can't type. It's a serious problem. He says in verse 9, Since we have now been justified by his blood. No, it's gone the wrong place. It's still in Romans. Sorry about that. That's okay. Here we go. At last. Come on, Mac. You're supposed to be the best. Verse 9, so we make it our goal to, to do what? To please him, whether we're at home, in the body, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Dear ones, that's in the Bible. That's in the Bible, that this isn't talking about heaven and hell. It's talking about rewards. Paul puts it this way in, two, in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Gold and silver don't fear the fire of meeting the Lord. They're purified by it. Wood, hay, stubble is gone. And that's the best if we don't walk in God's way. There's worse than that, that it could even destroy our relationship with him. Dear ones, we are called as the people of Jesus Christ to live as he told us to live, to walk as he told us to walk. I'll finish with this. I won't even bother to show you the slide. But Paul, in almost all his letters, has a therefore. In the middle of the letter, there's a therefore, and sometimes more than one therefore. Whenever there's a therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. Because it's there. he said, Jesus has died for us, Jesus has risen, Ephesians, and so on. Then he goes on to how we should live in the light of that. If we aren't living that way, it doesn't stop him loving us. But it does mean that we're grieving the one who died for us and rose for him. In this generation, perhaps more than any other, we are challenged to live the way the Bible told us to live, to walk the way the Bible told us to walk. Because when Jesus is Lord, when we're walking together and we walk in the fear and the holiness of God in the way that Scripture outlines, then his presence will be with me, with us. Then he can do amazing things through his church. We make choices. We make choices. The choice is, the only choice is to let Jesus be Lord, to let him have his way in our lives. At the age of 79, having done this stuff now for 55 years, I do not regret anything that the Lord has done in leading us. Who would? Because his way is the best way. Let's pray together. You're going to come up? Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. Thank you. It's, it's a narrow road, but it's such a good road, Lord. Thank you that at this stage of this life, I can say, Lord, you are truly amazing. That you could take this guy and his wife and use him in the way that you have, and you still continue to do
How could that possibly be? Thank you for making the choices that led us to be where we are today. Thank you for, in the amazing way you did, for facing me up and saying, Ross, I want to be in charge of your life because I've got a much better plan than you have. Thank you for that, Lord, in your name. Amen.